the 911 Calls Podcast with the operator and his deputy staff sergeant, Jack Luna. Okay, what do you need assistance with, ma'am? Domestic violence. He's going a blist in the house and he's ruined the freaking garage door. And I want and who is he? Your husband? Are you speaking about your husband, ma'am? That boyfriend. Oh, hi, Luna. Hey. Uh, hi. How are you? Could be better. How much time you got? <laughs> no, I'm oh, fine. Oh, good, because I don't care. Just mm. kidding. I do. Is that coffee? Is that an iced coffee you're drinking? That's Kentucky bourbon. Ah, darn it. <laughs> also, I don't know how much... Bourbon you're supposed to drink, but that is a full mason jar full of Kentucky bourbon. That's a lot. Are you going to like save some for later? Like, will that still be around a week from now or by the end of the episode? That's not the plan. <laughs> no, so, somebody, <laughs> um, my mother in law gave my lady, I, uh, is like a bookcase and it had wine shelf underneath. She's like, Did you see that you could store wine underneath? And my lady goes, it's not that kind of house. <laughs> like, because if I buy a bottle of wine, I'm not storing it, you know? <laughs> I'm drinking it that night. There is no top shelf. There's just whatever can fit in your sweatpants pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if I had a liquor cabinet, I would just have a constantly drinking cabinet. You know, mm. like the, it's not like somebody <laughs> comes over. I'm like, hey, you want a beer? Oh, I got one from last week. What do you like? I got a bunch of stuff in here. It's like, uh, let's go buy some beer. Yeah. Because yeah, I've exactly. drank all this stuff. To be right, right. Everything, everything has been opened. With yeah, I, that, I would be that way. I know I would. It's I, 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 I am, I am way too familiar with my addictive personality. I know oh, you're an I, alcoholic. I know it. I am. You never had a drink, but you're an alcoholic. Now, I read an article the other day about these people that were like praising this guy because early on, like 18, he recognized his addictive personality. And the whole article was talking about how amazing he was about the things that he's avoided in his life. And I was like, yeah, what, how did he do that and not get mocked? Cause I, if I say anything, they're like, freaking, you know, I'm not even going to say it. Cause totally. I, <laughs> screw it. Forget it. No, you know where I'm going with that. So I do. Oh, I hate my life sometimes. Oh man. I hate your life too. Hey, I got a question for you. Sure. <laughs> Did I just come across really passive aggressive? I was with you. Okay, well, <laughs> at least we're together on my passive aggressive acidity. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, Luna. Hey, man. If money were no object, what would you do when it came to living wherever you wanted? Mm. I would, yeah. I would uh, find a simple bungalow with three bedrooms. I got two kids, four four bedrooms, just for guess. And it would probably be out in the mountains because I've never lived in the mountains. Mm. And it would have water access yeah. so that just in case the apocalypse came, we could still not be thirsty, mm -hmm. be able to fish, and uh, a real simple life, man, and something that I can keep you know, attainable. I just want a, a lawn that I could drive a lot, riding lawnmower on too, and look at those mountains, drink beer. And then I want like a little hut where I go and I record my episodes and up top is the writing room. Ooh, I like and that. I, I want it real simple. And I also want to have about 10, 15 minutes away 
some nice restaurants to go and take my uh, kids and my lady to. I like that. It, it kind of sounds like the beginning at where you just moved to is the beginning of every Hallmark movie ever made. You know, yeah. oh, I got to, I'm, I'm moving to this small town. I got to get my riding underneath me. And you know, there's <laughs> yes. a, there's a town where the, at first the town folk don't like you because you're an outsider, yeah. but then they realize you contribute in one way or another and your yeah. wife makes great pies for the fair. Yeah, man. No, but you're on. I mean, that got me excited. What you were just saying. Heck yeah. It's the whole Stephen. Every Stephen King book, or every Dean Koontz, every every writer's book about what they think life is like. This family rolls into town. It's like, hey, here's our new old Victorian home. Right. And the family's never seen it somehow before, but it's fully furnished. And the wife walks in, had nothing to do with the whole thing. <laughs> and they walk. She just starts cooking dinner right away. Yeah. And and you're just you know, but it's haunted too, right? You didn't know that part. <laughs> and, and it's hot. And the kids start coming in like, there's a woman in my room. Like, shut up. Yeah. Have you ever remember that one girl, Elisha? Is Elisha Cuthbert? Eli, Alicia Cuthbert? She was in yeah, 24. You know, Alicia Cuthbert. Sure. She was just in a, a horror movie called The Cellar. And you just described exactly that. They, they, they bought a, a mansion. Nice. In Ireland, which I don't know. In my hometown, in my state, that would go for four million easy. Yeah. And they just moved in and it was like sort of already staged and sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, but that was there, and I, I love that. I, I I love that escape to think that there's people that just move into places like that. And yeah. I agree with you. That would be my. It's funny how the more uh, I think about having wealth, the more I want to simplify rather than complexify my life. You know, absolutely simplexity. So that'd be your so. What, what 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 would your answer be to that to that? So you have all the money. So the question was, you have all the money in the world. Yeah, money's no object. Where where would I live and and what? And I honestly I I didn't think about it because I wanted to ask you the question. But uh, I would have a I would have a a house that is suitable in size. Yes. I would probably separate my recording studio, have it on the property, um, not have it in the house or 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 mm. too nearby, so I can see them coming. Uh, my little children and the rascals. Yeah. And I don't want a big house. I want a house that's more like a Swiss army knife. Like everything has intention. Everything is intentionally built, um, which I think, unfortunately, money often affords you. That luxury is, you know, you don't just have a hallway. You have a hallway that does stuff. Um, You know, so very much similar to yours. Yeah, I think a lot of people think, well, that the absolute would be like a huge mansion and, you know, being private from everybody else. But for me, it's more like just what I get to look at. I would like to have neighbors so that the kids can go out and maybe interact with other kids or I can walk outside. Dude, I love the burbs. And there's the movie called The Watch with Vince Vaughn, right? Where, yeah. where you walk out of your garage, go down to take your garbage out and you see the neighbor next door and it's like, hey, Jerry. How's it going, Jack? Pretty good. How's the podcast going? Good. How's the stocks flowing? Decent. Come on over tonight. We'll have a barbecue and drink a beer, and I'll tell you how to make more money. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. that, like, I would love that. I don't want to be a, like alone mm-hmm. and yeah. rich or whatever. It- there, there are some communities just, uh, you know, a stone's throw away from where I'm at here, where everybody has two to five acres in this subdivision, which is right. awesome. You know, it's somebody who bought farmland and then was like, you know, there are people that want to have a little bit of space, but they still want neighbors. And uh, it's a, I, I, I like that idea. Um, I got a question for you before yeah. you continue that. Would you ever buy a murder house? Like, sure. if. Is, 
Okay, yeah. so say it's like a mansion, or not a mansion, but like a really a house that probably should cost like one point three million, but you get it for four hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. But a man killed his entire family in that house. Would you buy it at that discounted rate, knowing that? Would that bother you? No, it wouldn't. I'd buy it Oof. because I've got a sense of reality about <laughs> ghosts and stuff. I don't got that. I don't have that. But I, and I, even if the house were haunted, I, I, I have a sense of reality about it that I'd be okay with. I mean, that's the best way, simplest way to put, I'm not going to get into my well, beliefs anymore. Right, so. right. No, don't do but that. Dude. I'd be good. I'd be good. The, the, the th- <laughs> I would, I would, if you offered me a million dollars to live in a $1.3 million house where a man had murdered uh-huh. his family, I would not live in the house. Really? If you gave me a million dollars yeah. and the yeah. house were free. Yeah. So that's the way my mind works. There was a house uh, near where I grew up. It was a bigger house, but it, they had a really hard time selling it because something had happened like that. Um, actually, and it affected two houses because there was a really weird, very private family that lived in the big house. And at one point, there was an argument that bled out onto the front yard. And one of the uh, occupants came out with an axe and chased mm. the guy Chased the girl, I'm sorry, chased the girl down the street to the next house and she was pounding on the door and he caught her with the axe, killed her on the other house's front porch and put axe marks in this very old door on the other house. So the old door was valuable enough that they just tried to kind of patch the – but you know, if you knew the story, you knew when you drove by, you're like, and there's the axe marks on that door. Can you imagine living in that axe house? So never mind the house where it initially happened, but in the the place where the axe wounds went into that door, if I moved into that house, every time someone knocked on the door – I have a dead girl outside. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Being very Stephen King esque. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Yeah. I, I. I think I'd still buy it. I'd be all right. I don't know yeah. if my family would, but I'd be okay. <laughs> I mean, I've watched. Them. I've watched ghosts take Oreos from me. So you have. Yeah, they're all I sat there and you. recorded it. <laughs> I'm okay with yes. this stuff. You are haunted. Anything? Anything in your new house? Anything supernatural that you've noticed? No, not really. I mean, in a house that was built eight minutes ago and, you know, right. there's been no drama. I, eh, eh. So the ghosts from the old house did not follow you? No. No, the know? worst I'd be li- looking at is like, you know, that I might be living on the burial ground of some white Protestant family and uh-huh. you know, they're not they're not coming after me for anything. They got a lot of disagreements with me, but they're <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Protestant Go- and Mormon isn't the same thing. That's what no. I thought. Ghost wise, they're they're you know keeping to themselves. So, okay, I got another question for you. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. If money were no object, how would you build your house to secure it from, as Bean Bean puts it, quote unquote, bad guys? Okay. I think really all that you need is security cameras. Mm-hmm. Um. Again, I, I would make sure that I do have neighbors. That's something I thought that getting away from everybody would make us safer. But the more I thought about it, I think we talked about it in a previous episode. I mean, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and somebody does pull up, uh, you're probably at least 40 minutes away from a cop showing up and you got to deal with it on your own. Yeah. So I would make sure I'm around people at least, um, you know, a couple of acres away, like within shouting distance. Um, and uh, yeah, just just cameras, just mm-hmm. visible cameras. 
Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it doesn't seem to matter like how many acres or not acres, even you know, down to the feet between your house and the the neighbor. It Real seems to be a good idea to get to know your neighbors. Uh, yeah, you know, you kind of can watch out for each other, even if you know you don't agree or like your neighbors. Getting to know them seems like a healthy thing. I know our own property, big property. It's interesting because you'll see uh, like a dust plume at the edge out there at the edge of the property. You might not even see the car, but you know that somebody's headed to your neighbor's house, you know, because you just you can see the travel or you can kind of hear it across all the acreage. So it's interesting. I heard a story recently. I don't know. I'm going to get this wrong. So if you recognize this listening, I don't remember correctly, but it was kind of like a townhouse. So there was houses right beside it. And all down this block, and the family had been murdered by the father, and they were all in the house, and they were on vacation. And people back home from wherever they were from thought that maybe they had gone on the vacation, enjoyed where they were, and stayed because they were a very private family. Mm. And so this murder situation <clears throat> happened, and then finally the rent was up or something. I see, I'm, it's all screwed up, but like it's like they paid ahead or they owned it or something like that. So there was no reason to go and knock on the door, and nobody knew them where they were. So this guy had killed his whole family. And when they finally went in, the person who owned the place that was being rented out or whatever, to see what was up, because payments were due for some, whatever reason, they found the whole family completely decomposed on the couches oh. and on the floor and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. I guess, you know, there's drawbacks to being private. <laughs> it's got its pluses, but also some of downsides. Yeah. That you'd never really think they're ever going to be a reality for you, but, you know. No. Um, all right, final question. <laughs> okay. Would you ever consider putting landmines around the border of your property to keep bad guys out? No. <laughs> okay. Because my kids might step on them by accident, yeah. or I might. Right. With that, let's roll into this. Here we go. Ready? Well... In today's call, we are heading to the sizzling town of Mesa, Arizona, population Jason, because today nobody else matters in Arizona except Jason. Uh, Jason had high hopes as a public servant running for several offices in local Mesa government, but found defeat much more than he found any kind of victory. Jason had ideas and Jason had ideals. Jason would travel into the desert and seek out people who had either lost their way during their travels into the United States from other countries or had been abandoned by their tour guides who had been kind enough to show them the way through the desert. Uh, there are pictures of Jason hydrating these people to save them from heat exhaustion. There are pictures of him helping narco smugglers who willingly gave up their weapons in exchange for their lives being spared. There are pictures of Jason finding narco smugglers stockpiles, which he would report to proper law enforcement for seizure. And Jason was a people person. Jason, or as he was more affectionately known by his friends, detractors, and the police, was also a neo-Nazi. <laughs> and he hated non-whites and Jews. <laughs> a tale as old as time. A tale as old as time. Uh, JT, as he was more effective, affectionately known, was out there combing the desert for lost people and misguided narco-travelers, not because he cared about them, but because he had a dark, seething hate for people crossing the border from Mexico into the U.S., 
people that he stated, quote, do not even embrace the same language and culture as Americans and who spread tuberculosis, whooping cough, lice, and other third world biological diseases to our children. Wow. And he didn't even say that while traipsing through the desert, but he said it during a campaign speech while he was running for a seat in the Arizona House of Representatives back in 2004. Whoa. And placing landmines, yeah, along the U.S.-Mexico border, yeah, that was actually another one of the platforms that he campaigned on in his run for political office. That was the solution that he came up with in his own little brain. Wait a minute. So he thought that everybody who owned property near near that border should be placing landmines just outside of where they mow their lawn? Either they should place them or the government should just string landmines across the whole border. Like, I don't know. Has he never seen Vietnam and, you know. <laughs> so did he buy this? Pro- I guess we'll find out but uh, or maybe you know this information. But he got this property just to be pissed off. You will actually be very uh, surprised at what I've dug up here. So right. good question and we will cover it soon, Jack. He led a ragtag group of people called the U.S. Border Guard as they searched the desert for those entering the U.S. illegally. But nobody ever asked him to do it. And in fact, that type of vigilantism is really looked down upon by actual U.S. Border Patrol and various other, obviously, official U.S. agencies. But things for JT started off like things did for all of us. He was born a baby that didn't hate any color. And he knew, as all children do, that picking what you like or don't like based on colors should be limited to house paint and soda. <laughs> yeah. He was a little rascal growing up. He had run-ins with authorities after introducing his baseball bat to some rearview car mirrors. He wasn't a respecter mm. of the color of the car mirror either. He'd hit anything. Uh, then he got even more rascalier when in 1996, he took a little eight-day vacay while he was on active duty as a lance corporal in the Marines. He also stole some stuff while he was boot foot and fancy free. So they threw him in the brig for three months. After he got out, he got in trouble again for wrongful solicitation and advice, which although I know when you hear wrongful solicitation and advice, it sounds like he might have been giving tax tips to prostitutes. It does not mean that. Uh, the military also bolted on some assault charges and gave him six more months in lockup and then discharged him from the Marines for bad conduct. In 2007, he was arrested for driving while possessing a traffic preemption emitter. Do you know what a traffic preemption emitter is, Luna? Uh, I don't know. I'll let you know when a red light's coming up or where, where the cops are. Even better, it lets you change the color of the light. So it's like what you'd see on a – ambulances have these. As they're cranking through town, they can actually switch the the lights as they come to it. I wanted one of those as soon as you mentioned it, man. Yeah, Even though I live in a place with no (laughs) stoplights. But it's still fun to have. You can tell all of your friends you have it. Right. They'd be like, cool, let's go to a town where they've got actual lights. (laughs) Does, uh, does it turn the stop signs green? <laughs> just yeah. get a, you know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get a can of green spray paint and just let her rip in town. <laughs> it's a low-tech low tech, uh, agrarian solution for your town. <laughs> you know, I just think that's a, that's a funny way to like screw with your town if you live in a town like mine. Just paint all the stop signs green and then in black, right, go. <laughs> 
<laughs> Makes you wonder how many people would do it. Or even if it was just green, but it still said stop, like, would, you know. <laughs> what do we do? Just barrel right through it. I don't know. Uh, anyway, back to him being a disgusting neo-Nazi. So um, there are so many quotes from him that I could give here, but I'm going to spare the listener any of JT's words because they're the most ignorant, tone-deaf to history, blind-to-reality views that you can think of. Every bone in my body wants to dig into this guy, but I am tired of digging into things to give us one-star reviews. So we will slide right along into murkier, true crimier, yet politically neutral waters. Oh. Perfect. In uh, March of 2006, JT tried running for Mesa City Council, but then he, fi- <laughs> but then he fired a pistol at a Latino man who was armed with a BB gun. Uh, no criminal charges were filed, but it was deemed probably a bad optics when you're running for city council in a city that has a 20.72 percent Latino population. Oh, so it's bad for business. Yeah, not good. Not good. Uh, his campaign was further derailed when shortly after JT Reddy volunteered as to act as master of ceremonies at the Mesa Veterans Day parade. It came to light that he'd been court-martialed and drummed out of the Marines. Not exactly the kind of history you want floated to the audience while watching U-boat vets float on rolling boat floats. <laughs> So I found that typically, and I would give this advice to him and to anybody else, if you want to maintain a large audience and not drive people away, you want to keep your personal and political views out of the spotlight. Yeah. (laughs) So a word to the wise and to parade organizers, avoid neo-Nazis as float participants unless they have nooses or targets around their necks. Uh, he did a lot of neo-Nazi stuff like protesting outside the Mexican consulate there in Arizona and calling the country of Mexico a, quote, threat nation. He affiliated himself for the next few years more and more. And this is actually very common, I think, with uh, people with extreme views like like him. Over over the course of the next few years, he, he affiliated himself more and more with the neo-Nazi national socialist movement which they have a strict BYOB policy at all their events. And that's bring your own beer, bring your own brown shirt. (laughs) (laughs) He went by the name Viking Sun in neo-Nazi groups and forums and posted pictures of himself wearing a kilt and a bulletproof vest, apparently willing to protect his heart, but not his brains. (laughs) Get it? Because that was a Mm -hmm. subtle illusion that, you know, men think through there, you know, and, yeah. That he's willing to expose his right to gunfire. Oh, Stacy God. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah. Anyway, his profile listed his turn-ons as a quote, woman who loves our race, culture, heritage, history, and future. Wow. Yeah, so if we're really putting that into realistic, historically accurate, non-delusional things that he actually likes. He likes women because the rest of what he thinks he likes, he doesn't really understand that well. Uh, he also stated that he was a big fan of the neo-Nazi pop music group Prussian Blue. Have you ever heard of Prussian Blue? 
Oh, no, not on my playlist. <laughs> well, they're a duo of two fraternal girl twins named Lynx and Lamb who sang songs about hate and discrimination in little girl voices because they were actually little girls in a band formed by their terrible parents and put on stage at white nationalist events. Yeah, Lynx and Lamb have since they've abandoned their their past and rid themselves of the influence of their parents and the white supremacist ideologies that they were fed as children. So there's at least one bright spot in this turd storm. Did they actually rid themselves of all their past ideologies? I don't know, and I don't care. You just try Googling anything about white supremacy in this post-Trump era to do research. It's like what I imagined it would have been like a year after World War II ended and trying to Google, did my German neighbors really support the Nazis? (laughs) All signs point to yes. And all of those signs will keep pointing to yes for about 80 years. I felt like my hands literally had touched everything in a pawn shop after researching this episode. It was so (laughs) gross. Um, also, you can find Prussian Blue on Spotify. It's uh, it's actually not the same group. It's a woman singer who sings not racist songs at all. I wonder if she knows that she named her band the same as the other one, though. She's probably sitting there at home wondering why her music is just totally tanking on Spotify. At the same time, why are there so many people picketing for racial justice outside of her house? She probably thought she was just naming her band after one of Bob Ross's favorite paint colors. Well, she did, but it just seems a little more white to the rest of the world. (laughs) Poor lady. Uh, Hey, Luna. Yes. Which came first, the plant or the seed? (sighs) Fucking the seed. I don't know. Anyway, back to the Nazi. Actually, Jack, can you help me out with the swear word here? I feel like just calling him a Nazi isn't harsh enough. What can we prepend to to this word to make it sound more, I don't know, intense? Okay, fucking Nazi. There, that feels right. That feels just right. Uh, well, this gets uh, a little more interesting anyway. So finally, his political luck dried up. And so he sought election in a race that I kind of felt didn't require an outright party affiliation as a sheriff of Pinell County in Arizona. Funny thing, the GOP or the Republicans ran him off because – who wants to be associated with neo-Nazis? Mm-hmm. So he he ran as sheriff as a Democrat and tried to drag it, drag the justification all the way back to like the Democrats supported Jim Crow and stuff. Just like, I don't know. He would have been better off trying to use facts from the 1800s. He just, this guy's bizarre. So he's running for sheriff, right? Right. But as in the past, his campaign hit a bit of a roadblock with more legal issues, things like assault and violence, that the kind not typically found during daylight hours with other people who run for sheriff. You know, other people that run for sheriff, they usually like to keep active corruption a little more quiet until at least they've actually secured their election. Hold on a second. Yeah. I'm going to call you so we can actually get a phone call on this episode. It's taken forever to get a phone call. <laughs> okay. No, no. I, I'm just joking. I, I love it, man. I'm listening. It's great. Great uh, research. This okay. is front-ended. This is front-ended. I, you know, I, I Oh, I went that back. hurt your feelings. I saw that hurt your feelings, bro. No, I'm, I, just, I'm, joking. I'm joking. I went back to the first episodes, and yes. I was like, how do we recapture what we did? 
And I was like, it's impossible. Piss me off. Because the cat is out of the bag. Um, No, but I went back to um, Travis the Chimp, and I was like, wow, this is really front-loaded with a lot of detail. Oh, okay. So I thought maybe we'd get there. I know we've our audience is all over the place. They're like, I love the banter, the one-and-a-half-hour banter before you ever play a phone call. And then there's other people that are like, get to the call. And then so. Hey, man, listen, I am interested. I was just screwing with you. No swear words. Part of me wants to just Definitely stop doing this show. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Altogether. This just, is it. Bum, bum, <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Can you imagine if we just ended it right, right now? now? No call, <laughs> nothing, never another episode. Just, I don't know, somewhere like around the 25 minute mark, the optus just stopped. He stopped. He's never done another one. It's been 10 years. Guess we pissed him off. <laughs> Who thought we could have just shared our opinions with him all the time and he'd just roll with it? <laughs> I guess, I guess he is sort of human. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's he doing now? Oh, he's back in Alabama handing out pamphlets. I heard he's a Republican. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or neo-Nazi. Right. We like to, I heard he got a job at a landmine factory. Yeah. Oh my inspired by that last episode <laughs> in New Mexico. Oh, no, I'm still right. here. I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. For half of you, I'm still here. And for the other half of you, I'm sorry, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to the neo Nazi. Just knocked my cigarette into my <laughs> fucking sorry. groin, dude. God, I'm gonna have to pour all of this alcohol on me to put the fire out. One star review. I was totally loving this show until the op burned Jack. <laughs> he lit him on fire. <laughs> all right, we're like literally eight seconds away from the call. <laughs> <laughs> you, you pushed me to my limit. I did. All right, we're good. We're good. Okay, one more paragraph about Shakespeare. Here we go. Okay. Just kidding. Okay, so JT, whilst campaigning to be sheriff, one night in early May of 2012, had what police described as a domestic dispute at a house where he lived with his girlfriend, Lisa, in Gilbert, Arizona. Only this time, it was caught on 911 calls. Oh, are you (laughs) you ready for me to hit play? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. I need a police officer to be come to 530 West Humboldt Road. What's the address? 530 West Humboldt Road. What's the street name one more time, ma'am? Tumbleweed. Tumbleweed? Mm Mm-hmm. 520 West Tumbleweed Road in Gilbert? Yes. Okay, what do you need assistance with, ma'am? Domestic violence. He's going a blist in the house and he's ruined the freaking garage door. And I want and who is he? Your husband? Why are you speaking about your husband, ma'am? That boyfriend. What is it that he's doing? What is it he's doing, ma'am? Oh my God! He's Hello. So onto the call. The the first shot that you heard toward the end of that phone call was JT Reddy shooting either his girlfriend's daughter, her boyfriend, or the girlfriend's daughter's fifteen month old baby girl. I'm supposed to guess which one it was. No, I'm just oh. saying we I'll don't know, but one of those 
were the ones that received the first shot that you heard. The second shot was JT Reddy shooting his girlfriend who was still on the phone with 911. That's why she stopped talking because she received the second shot. In all, JT Reddy shot four people and then himself. All were pronounced dead at the scene. Hey, Lenny, you know when uh, when people always make fun of true crime shows for cutting away from some terrible thing that just happened in the story to an ad? Right, yeah, I hate that. Now that we have that out of the way, <laughs> there is actually a second call to 911 that came in during this time. Uh, but operator, I thought you said everyone was shot and killed. Well, the only remaining living person in the house was Lisa's other daughter, who was in her room at the time of the murder-slash-suicide that took place just down the hall. So are you ready for me to press play on that? I'm JT ready. Okay. You shouldn't be JT ready. Just just telling you. I wouldn't I'm go around JT town ready. saying, okay, yeah, never say that again. That's probably advisable. <laughs> One-star reviews. Here they come. Whee! Here we go. Where's your emergency? 530 West Tumbleweed Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85233. 530 West Tumbleweed and Gilbert, what's going on there? There was gunshots and my mom and my niece and my sister are all on the floor and I think they're dead. You said gunshots and my mom. Okay, tell me, what about your mom? It was my mom's boyfriend, JT Reddy. They were fighting, they were screaming. I was in my room and now they're all dead. Okay, where did you hear the gunshots? I heard it coming from outside. The front door is open. They're all laying on the floor. There's blood. Okay, well, who has been shot? Do you know? My mom, Lisa Medeiros. My sister, Amber Medeiros. Your mom's been shot? My mom, my sister, and my niece. Please. Your mom, your sister, and your niece have all been shot? Yes. Okay, we had, we had officers on the way. Okay, thank you. Where is he at? I don't know. I think he's gone. The front door's open. I just heard gunshots. I was in my room. And I come out and they're all on the floor and there's blood. Okay, do you know if, okay, do you know where he's at or where the gun is? I don't think he has lots of guns in the garage. They were fighting. There was really loud fighting. Do you think he's in the garage? Do you think he's in the garage? I don't know where he is. I think he left. I don't know. Okay, you know he has a vehicle? Yes, he has a black car. A black car? Yeah. Okay, nice. what kind of car is it? I don't know what kind of car it is. Is it a two-door or a four-door? It's a four-door. It's a four-door? Okay, it's a passenger car. And do you know, um, um, okay, do you know um, anything else about it? Do you know a license plate or if it's registered to him? It's registered to him. That's okay. And is your boyfriend, what is his name? It's not my boyfriend, it's my mom's boyfriend. Oh, it's the mom's boyfriend? Yes. Okay, what is his name? JT Reddy. Jason Reddy. Jason Reddy. Jason Reddy. And this is 530 West Tumbleweed, right? Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Do you happen to know, ma'am, do you happen to know what his, um, how old he is? Um... I think he's uh, 30-something. I don't know. 30-something? Okay. And um, how about um, 
Do you know where he lives? He lives with my mom here. He's been saying it. He doesn't. Okay. Okay. Do you know? Have you heard anything else? Where are you at in the house? I'm in my room. It's um. There's a front door. You turn right. There's a hallway, and then I'm in my room. <laughs> okay, hallway, go right, and then you're in the room? Yeah, there's a front door, hallway, go right, and go straight in the room right there. Okay, okay. could I have your name? Brittany. Brittany, what's your last name? Medeiros. How do you spell that? M-E-D-E-R-O-S. B R I T T A N Y. Okay. Are you injured at all? Well, no, I'm not injured. I was sleeping okay. in my bed. Please. Okay. Did he know you were in the house? Yes. Okay. Okay. I want you to stay. Brittany, I want you to stay where you're at, okay? We've got officers. We've got, actually, we have an officer already there and, and others on the way. So tell me if you, okay, Brittany, you're doing a really good job, okay? Okay, do you have any idea if, if JC is still in the house? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> Are you, are, you, are you out of your bedroom? Where are you at? No, I'm in my bedroom. You are? Okay. <laughs> and uh, the door is closed, right? Yeah, yeah, it's closed. <laughs> what are you wearing, Brittany? I'm wearing a red shirt and black shorts. Black shorts and what? Like a red shirt. Red shirt? Do you know what Jason was wearing? No, I don't know what he's wearing. What's that? I don't know what he's wearing. <laughs> okay, what does Jason do for a living? Um, he goes to the border with his friends. They're not what a part does of he do for a living, though? What is the work? He goes to the border and with their guns, they go and try to find Mexicans and narcotics. So, okay, so does he, maybe, does he have an undercover job of some sort? No, he doesn't work at all. He just sits at my house. Okay. And he was trying to go for sheriff or something, and I don't know if that went anywhere, but... Okay. Do you know, okay... Uh, let's, if you're, I, I, I hope you're going to help me a little bit, Brittany. You're doing a great job. Can we talk about Jason just a little bit more as far as, do you know if he has a stash of weapons in the house at all? Yes, in the garage. Okay. <laughs> and I think there's a gun in my mom's room. It's really small. It's... <laughs> <laughs> no. Brittany? Yes. Okay. Um, 
let's talk about Jason a little bit more. I'm sorry to ask you all these questions, but you're helping us, okay? Because we want to, we're trying to help you as much as we can. So, can you think back about when you saw Jason today, what he may have been wearing? I didn't see him at all this morning. You haven't seen him at all? Okay. Yeah, the last time I saw him was last night before I went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can, uh, Brittany, if you can stay with me, okay? If you can stay with me. Uh, the officers at your house, and I don't want you to go anywhere, okay? I want you to stay right where you are until they're coming to your house. I, Brittany, are you listening to me? Yes. Brittany, okay, listen to me. Officers are coming into your house. Do not do anything unless I tell you, okay? Okay. Do not do anything, okay? I will give you I will go and hang up with you then, okay? If they're good with me hanging up with you. I don't know. It only be JT there, was it? Okay. Are you wanting me to hang up the phone? No, not yet. They're getting me. Are you with an officer so I can with an talk officer. to an officer? Yeah. Okay, do you want to, do you want me to disconnect with you or stay on the phone with you? Um, I don't want to anymore. Okay, I will, I will let you talk to the officer if the officer is okay with that. Do you want to hand the officer the phone first? Okay. Hold on. This is, this is radio. It's Samuel. It's Samuel. Okay. Hello. One, four, two, three. Okay. Okay. I'm going to hang up this line, okay? Okay. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye. Oh, my gosh. I, I, that's, a, that's a whole lot to take in if you're that daughter. Yeah. Uh, investigators examining the scene of the crime found chemicals and military-grade munitions – and said there were no indications that any other than J.T. Reddy was involved in the killings. But numerous nativist, extremists, and white supremacist friends of his refused to believe this, with J.T. Reddy having seized more than $4.5 million worth of the Sinaloa cartel's drugs during his patrols in the desert. Some of those sympathetic to his views blamed the murders on Mexican drug cartels. Or also a possibly Zionist occupied government, which is also called Zog or 
saying that the Jews run everything is what they're right. basically saying there and that they had him killed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how you get there on either one of those. After listening to the 911 calls, they seem very clearly to place all of the blame directly on JT Reddy. Like she's saying her boyfriend, it's a domestic abuse situation. Yeah. He seems to roll back into the house at that point. It'd be just weird timing that he's having a domestic abuse situation happen. 911 call is placed and then the Sinaloa cartel shows up out of nowhere <laughs> or the government and then just guns down a whole family, including a baby. I just, Jeez. I don't, I don't see it. Who did we hear on that call again? The last call was the girlfriend's daughter, the other okay. daughter who was in her room at the time. And she found everybody shut up. Could you imagine being the child of a white supremacist? That would be very difficult um, because you're impressionable. You, you know, you may hate what your parents are involved in. And, and if you have friends at school or go to school at all, yeah, everybody's telling you that you should hate your parents and what they do. And uh, that would be it. Man, that would be just a very, very heavy, heavy load on a child. I've thought about it a few times when it comes to like serial killers. I, I know that BTK, Dennis Rader's daughter, was heavily kind of like involved in the aftermath. She had a book and she talked to the press quite a bit after a certain period of time. And I always looked at her. I was like, wow, you look a lot like Dennis. And he actually, some of her behavior, her mannerisms are like him and even her attitude at times and how – when you're in your, you're alone when you're alone i wonder if you think i wonder if you wonder is some of that in me like is am i different because my dad or my mom was so different and extreme do i have these things i i think about it myself you know with things to do with my father or my mom. i'm sure we all do and you try to become like an individual but it's hard to escape um, the tendrils of your genetics, let alone the tendrils of a massive thing happening with, with your own family and how that stains you. And, and then how you only have so much time in life. Like how, how can you scrub that off of you to live a normal life yeah. beyond cleaning yourself of, of that distinction of what's happened before you? I think we've, we've covered a lot of cases, you know, where we've talked about the effects, the, the the mental effects of abuse on a person and how much they question about their own self, their own worth, their own integrity, their own sanity. And I've got to imagine that the world's full of things like this where oh, yeah. I would say 100% unjustifiably attribute or question whether or not you are the same monster as the people that somehow raised you. I, I like to lean on Mindhunter at times like this, and it seems like a vast majority of the reason that these people end up becoming extremists like this or serial killers is they are a byproduct of a whole lot of factors that seem to be environmental as opposed to Absolutely. Uh, nature. Yeah. And so, but uh, like you said, you can't escape it. I, I remember walk, walking out of the, an abusive relationship wondering what's wrong with me, you know? Right. And, and it took a long time for me to look back on that and be like, oh, okay, I'm fine. Yeah, man. There are a lot of people like, uh, even on a positive side, who their parents are famous. And it's mm. like, you'll never live up to that, right? You're always, I don't know. Uh, Nicholas Cage's child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? 
back on a darker note, people who have been like abused, you know, like you see yourself your whole life as an, a, an abused person or a survivor of abuse, right? And what's happened to you is stained on you no matter what. So first you're an abused person and then you become a survivor of abuse. And what is happening, the most negative thing that's happened to you in your life continues on with you through your whole life and becomes a part of your identity. It's it's really hard. And, and I go through this in certain ways that I don't need to go on about, but where you try to find who you would have been without any of that influence and without any of those stains of, of what's come before you or what's been imposed upon you and your upbringing and your nature, sorry, your nurture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the real, one of the real challenges in life is to find who you would have been without any, without any influence on yourself. Which can be really hard because what you're asking yourself to basically do is forget to dis- to forget or to really remember enough that mm. you can move past it right. and also be a big enough person that you don't want to use any anybody else as an excuse for the way you're you're planning to live the rest of your life those are powerful powerful requirements imposed on people i, yeah. I heard a comedian yeah. a little while ago he and sometimes comedy i think is just a mirror into reality and you know it's an uncomfortable look yeah. and this guy was making the case for XYZ thing that we get ourselves involved in, you know, based on like just our own choices and stuff. And he said something and he was being funny about it, but it actually got me thinking. He said, he said, wouldn't it be cool if like, you know, we could get all drunk and then drive around the streets. And then when you get pulled over for a DUI, you could just be like, look, man, I got the drunk gene. And they're like, oh, and they have, they have to factor that in. You know, they have to factor in that genetic. Burt Kreischer might have been the comedian. He might have. I can't remember. It was brilliant when he said it. But at the same time, I was like, ooh, could you imagine that Pandora's box where we really start looking at things where maybe they are attributed to genetics? And could we start factoring those in? Like there's research that today's American indigenous population mm-hmm. is more – is actually a genet they're genetically predisposed to be alcoholics because of their forefathers and yep. the way that they consumed and everything and that it literally has made its way into the their genes where if they if they consume alcohol they have a much higher rate of becoming an alcoholic and to yes. me that's science there and so yep. maybe there's an argument to be made that you know hey I've got the drunk gene and that legally we have to factor that in? I don't know. I have a good friend who's uh, like uh, First Nations or whatever, right? And uh, he, he said to me, I mean, it's just, just this buddy of mine who, who in drunk talks, drinking with him, and he's like, can't. he told me, he's like, I cannot drink as much as you can. Like, I need to stop right now. Don't push me into it because you'll see like a crazy side of me. And he's like, I believe, and this is not science, this is me and my buddy, drunk. He's like, you guys came here and you had like decades of alcoholism in your lineage and you showed up here and introduced it to my people and you got like 100, 100, 200, 300 years of alcoholism in your genes that I do not have and it hits me much quicker. That's the way he explained it to me. I was like, okay, we'll smoke a joint then, you know, or let's do some blow. To completely switch it up though, like uh, I, I know being around guys who have been through like war, like uh, like a Vietnam vet or I guess I don't have any experience being around many people who are in World War II, but I've been around a couple of Vietnam War vets and they will not talk about what they've been through because like 
that is what it was, and I do not want it to be who I am now, and I need that separation. I will only talk about those things if it's completely necessary and if it's with someone who's been through it as well and it's kind of like a therapeutic thing between the two of us. If I make it part of my life in everyday interactions with people that have never been through it, then it becomes who I am and suddenly I'm this screwed up Vietnam guy. Ah. Uh, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people who have been through abuse or who um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough because you suddenly I, I experience it myself because I talk about a lot of things like on the podcast and then suddenly people are like, oh, but you're doing so well considering it's like it wasn't that bad. Mm. But to them but but to them it was. And you, you become identified by it. So you got to kind of be careful who you share certain things with um, because you might become a victim in their eyes even though you didn't mean to victimize yourself to them. Sometimes expressing the challenges you've had and – I don't know. People with extreme lives should be given the ability to say, hey, I was a victim. I mean, being a victim Absolutely. and using victimhood as an excuse, I think, are two completely separate For things. Sh- Absolutely. You know what I mean? And being able to be objective about where maybe you were victimized, which is a very big reality, and then using it as an excuse for the way you live your life are two different things. I want to I sure. want to clarify just really quick because I sure. don't want anybody to think that I'm talking out of my hat when it came to my statements about um, uh, indigenous populations or First okay. Nations. Um, so the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, in particular in talking about variations – in genetic predisposition with Southwest California Indians, their word, not mine. <laughs> anyway, they say this. It's very interesting. They say, as described in other articles in this issue, genetically influenced metabolic factors have been implicated in the etiology of alcoholism, not only in Native Americans, but also in other ethnic groups. The two main enzymes involved in alcohol metabolism are alcohol dehydrogenase, ADH, and aldehyde dehydrogenase, ALDH. So that's really interesting science to me when it comes to addictions, at least, that there are certain enzymes in our bodies that mm-hmm. dictate how our body is going to uh, metabolize certain chemicals. Um, right. I think I've talked about it before. I had a genetic test done on SAM 2.0 not, not too long ago, to, to, and it determined, based on his DNA, how his um how his body was going to metabolize different mental health drugs that was really cool and i just wonder if that'll ever make its way into like the way that we i don't know calculate legal things sure man i could talk about this kind of thing forever uh, yeah. but i'll just get us into into more and more trouble for sure but i'll tell you what i don't think anyone can ever say that you're genetically predisposed to be racist <laughs> no <laughs> it's well, a complete Nurture, not nature. <laughs> not yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, it 100%. is. If you're growing up and you're hearing it all around you, you think that it's normal, and you go outside and drop an end bombs one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that did not happen. All babies are born pure, and 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 as far as I know, I mean, there can be influences, though, right? Like if you have fetal alcohol syndrome, um, you know, if you were born and your mom was drinking and all that kind of stuff, and we don't know for sure. Uh, Sam was adopted, and mm-hmm. we we adopted him at birth, 
Um, but his birth mother had uh, substance abuse problems during the pregnancy. Right. He was actually born with a nicotine dependency and wow. signs of FAS. Um, yep. And uh, fortunately, I think in his case, you know, those things can can uh, be present and manifest themselves in, in variances, lots of degrees. So fortunately yeah. in his case, it wasn't as bad, but he was born wanting to smoke <laughs> basically, wow. you know, yeah. I mean, that was, that was, boy, talk about, I mean, it's one thing to have a baby that's got like jaundice or, or, yeah. you know, a stomach issue, but talk about a baby who, you know, has a nicotine dependence. Needs to smoke. That's rough. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're not going to put a nicoderm patch on them. You just, <laughs> you just let them cry for a month. <laughs> oh, it was hard, hard, hard. That's but, terrible, man. Yeah. yeah. He's definitely not a racist. So that's good. I think that says something about me too. <laughs> <laughs> Laid off the N bombs yeah. when you visited visit in the hospital. As <laughs> soon as he was born, I was like, all right, no more racism. <laughs> Uh, no, right. but uh, hey, okay. So back to JT Reddy. So yeah. uh, after his death, documents released by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Phoenix showed that he had twice been caught in 2011 forcibly detaining immigrants in the desert. Although no charges were brought, the FBI agent in charge of the Phoenix office revealed that JT had been the subject of a federal domestic terrorism investigation, which sounds right up his alley. Like, that sounds appropriate for, yeah. you know, his level of of involvement. Here's a really interesting thing. So Vice, I don't – you've probably heard of Vice. Sure. It's a publication, videos, and all that kind of stuff. Yep. They did a video piece on JT Ready back in 2012, and they, they kind of had to walk back a lot of the stuff that they had originally planned for the piece after he killed everybody and himself. The piece walked an awkward line explaining how it's like legal to shoot narco-terrorists in the face in the desert and how that isn't actually a lie. It, there were several times where dead members of the cartel were hauled out of the desert by actual U.S. Border Patrol, uh, having been delivered by J.T. Reddy and his band of border guards. Jeez. Also, come to find out, patrolling the Arizona border in particular, because I don't know about any other borders because I was doing research on Arizona. Mm. Uh, also, patrolling the Arizona border is also apparently legal, but maybe frowned upon. Uh, so he was actually covered legally while he was out there shooting narcos and rescuing normal immigrants by giving them water and limes and garlic. He actually said that they like it. <laughs> That's part of their culture. Oh so they God. gave him garlic when they'd find him in the <laughs> desert. Hold on a second. He's... <laughs> He's just stuffing garlic in these guys' mouths? Apparently. Here you go. In his Vice interview, he was like, yeah, when we find them, we'll, you know, we'll hydrate them and we give them limes. They like limes mm -hmm. a lot and they like garlic. Uh, it's part of their culture. So we make sure we have it on hand. And I was like, wow. Just garlic. That's weird. He also makes whatever he found in the desert sound like he caught a rhesus monkey, not <laughs> yeah. an actual human. Uh, right. It's weird. Right. But uh, – Man, I don't know. I, it's, it's weird to think that somewhere, somewhere in the United States, there's a person that's like, yeah, yeah, no, hi, hi. JT Reddy hydrated me. He gave me a lime, too. Probably saved my life. And a clove of garlic. <laughs> and a clove of garlic. Mustang. Still wear it around my neck. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. 
Um, I also learned, as we all did in this episode, that JT Reddy said he didn't like Mexicans, yet he lived, ironically, in a house owned by a Mexican, and the children that he had, or at least the children he supported within that home, were Mexican, or at least half Mexican. I think that goes to show that extreme views are really hard to live by, especially when they are so far removed from reality and removed from actual history and knowledge of how our country operates and began. And so he was a walking irony. Uh, Hypocrisy ran deep with him, I would say, you Mm -hmm. know, as, as with a lot of these extremists like this. There's just, you cannot toe the line unless you've got like a Hitler for a leader and you're actually, you know, taking over a whole country. Yeah. But even then, after you lose, you're not going to be able to hold to your extreme ideals for long and, and keep your neck, you know. Sometimes you have really dumb people who just like want to have control of their environment because they feel out of control themselves and they grab on to whatever's around them to be able to control people. And often that's a negative thing. Yeah. That, that that is connected to that control aspect. So he's like walking around like the man with uh, cloves of garlic and uh, limes in his pockets, acting like he's <laughs> liberating people in some form or fashion. But <clears throat> he's just a moron in, in a strange situation. Watching the Vice video and Vice, if you don't know, they lean heavy left. They really do. Yeah. And, and everybody knows that. It's not a secret. But they went into the desert and they found JT Reddy and they did – what I will say, I think they did a pretty objective piece on, on JT Reddy for, you know, for what normally comes out of Vice. Um, and they even said that he was very personable and that he wasn't hard to like – and that the the videographer, the guy behind the video was actually like, you know, it's interesting to have a meal with somebody like JT Reddy and know like kind of what he stands for and everything. So apparently even neo-Nazis can come across as, uh, you know, someone you could carry a conversation on and not feel complete ick factor all sure. the time. but. I don't know. I'm looking at a picture picture of JT Brady. He's a big guy. Big guy. And often with big guys comes like a lot of like immediate respect from from maybe subservient people or just Mm -hmm. smaller people. You know, like I I see it in my town everywhere I've lived, not just in my town. But when there's a big, confident guy, no matter how dumb he is, you tend to like kind of listen to what he has to say. And you're like happy that he's treating you well because you know that he could physically smother you with his big, fat body, right? Yeah. He's got a head that looks like it's been hit with a mallet 50 times. When you combine size and charisma, Mm -hmm. those two things tend to factor in that we tend to open our ears to what they have to say. Even if what comes out is really ignorant, uh, yeah. we give them the floor for some oh, reason. Yeah. You know? It's a loud voice. It's a big yeah. person. You tend, you really do. I've, I've noticed it all through my life. It's like the big guy gets a lot of the attention. It's just like, oh, this guy can physically take over the situation. I'm going to also listen to what he has to say because at subconscious level, he could kill me. And that apparently seems to be the case with uh, JT Reddy. You know, he, he found enough people to kind of follow along with his way of thinking. And I don't think mm-hmm. they're hard to find. You know, the, the math is pretty simple. You find people with low self-esteem. You knock them down. You build them back up into what you think they should be. And Absolutely. And then you got a neo-Nazi. To, to my point, what I was just saying, uh, I'll ask you, have you noticed like whenever you meet a really big guy and he's just nice? 
And he's just a regular person. You're surprised almost. You really seem to notice huggable big yeah. people. Yeah. You know, yes. and it just feels really good to be around them. Yeah. 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 Something yeah, about man. that. Jeez. I wish he'd hug me. I do. <laughs> Looking at him. <laughs> I think he would have shot us. Oh, I think um, so too. So I thought that a fitting send-off to such a piece of garbage as this guy was might be best left in the hands of our friend, Kent Chungus. So I asked him to share with us a brief word about his feelings for JT Reddy. Kent, the floor is yours. Fuck that guy. There you go. Okay. I probably ascribe to uh, Kent's... uh, Kent's one of those big guys. So I'll listen to Kent. (laughs) Big huggable. Huggable, lovable. (laughs) <laughs> dangerous too man yeah, right. god Kent was a Kent was a machine gunner in <laughs> Fallujah he, he hates when I say that yeah yeah he does he really hates it you don't know how much he hates it you don't know how many times I've protected your life <laughs> just kidding it was one of those places hey how about a happy ending oh sure yeah okay this one's this one's fun so here we go Stop bothering him. That's how he had cancer. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, because he, they use laser beams on him too? Yes. Mm -hmm. They don't listen to nobody. Okay. They're All on right. drugs. Okay. They're on drugs. Okay. And they think they're going to be wealthy. Okay. Well, we will tell them to stop it, okay? Oh, I'm arrested because I have my assault and battery charges. Okay. You know what assault and battery is? Yes, I sure do. Well, you know, police department is supposed to arrest people for assault and battery. Okay. Well, you will. We'll go out there and look for them. Yeah, well, you do more than that. Okay. And when we find them, we'll arrest them. Well, they have, they've crossed the freeway and they zoomed their stuff back on my property. I know that they run around and mm -hmm. dug in on the freeway or what they're, whatever it is. Okay. We'll go look for them. Yeah, well, when are you going to do it? We're going to do it right now. Yeah. Okay. I wonder if you will, because you never have done it. We've done it already. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Yeah, we'll okay. make sure you come out here. All right, thank you. <laughs> oh my God! And Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> I I love that line. That line where she's like, "Yeah, did you have a Merry Christmas?" <laughs> <laughs> that nine one one call operator. It's like she's dealt with her before, right? Yeah. They need to send somebody out there with you know in white suits and wrap her up and put her in. Probably a mental hospital for a while, get her on medication by the sounds of things. Yeah. It was like she was letting her off the hook multiple times, like, this phone call can end and we won't have to send anybody <laughs> out there. I know you're having a crazy moment, lady. Yeah. But she continues and she starts berating the 911 call operator, right? Ugh. So, so these, she could barely walk because of the pains in her feet, what she figured were laser beams. Um, I believe what she was suffering from was plantar fasciitis, actually. <laughs> and uh, she probably has a bit of fibromyalgia, I would say, also. Like, I could yes. I could diagnose this lady with, you oh. know, blind. Man, I wrote a short story while I was listening to that call. It's called <laughs> The Trouble. Did you hear her say the, the, the trouble at one point? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just all about her and what she uh, – you, you make it seem like it's actually happening the entire time. And yeah. then you see – that there's nothing happening at all. Someone's pointing a laser pointer through a window every once in a while. So it's going right. Maybe, or maybe it's just headlights from down yeah. the yeah. street. You know, <laughs> who knows? And there's nowhere in her house she can escape where she can't get touched by the lasers. Also, I'm pretty sure I heard her say they don't live there anymore. I heard her say that too. <laughs> Lady, so. we can't send a police unit into your head to fix this. <laughs> This amazing. isn't the, the what was that the school bus the amazing school bus we we can't send that into your ear canal <laughs> the amazing ambulance the amazing police cruiser that would be a children's cartoon show to watch where the school bus the ambulance goes into crazy people's heads and they talk yes. about what's going on where the synapse gaps are crapping out and. <laughs> Right. Oh, that's actually a good idea. It man. is. Like, our kids Ooh. grow up knowing about mental health issues that way. Yeah. I, I subscribe to that. That'd oh, be great. my God. Yeah, man. Yeah, we could do a whole series of shows on it and just have a subscription channel called Nutflix. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that because I have a lot of mental issues. So, yeah, yeah, same same. But what do you do with that lady? What did? What do you think that 911 call operator did? Like it sounded like she kind of blew her off like it had happened multiple mm. times. They're just going to let her go. But like you probably should send somebody there to, to I don't know, like, like I don't know, diagnose her. 
what we've learned from our calls is I've been very critical in the past of sending just mental health workers out right. to somebody who has a 911 call. I, Same. There, there still could be a, a possibility of, of a risk to other people with somebody like this, possibly. Yeah. And so in this kind of a case, one of two things should happen. We've learned that you can, you can still be uh, without any fault as a police officer, but your city could still dole out millions of dollars to somebody if you don't check the right box and assign somebody after the call to go and do a mental health check or, or send that person to a mental health facility. So I would say you should probably err on that side if you're a police officer and that mental health professionals probably are a factor at some point in this lady's life and interaction with the police, whether it's with the police or after the police make sure there isn't harm. Well, what was was disturbing? I mean, there's a lot disturbing about that is that she said like, well, are you going to send somebody out? It was almost like she's saying like you haven't sent somebody out in the past. And the way that I was kind of reading it too is like if you don't do something about this, I will. So before you know it, you got this woman lighting the next door neighbor's house on fire for something that's going on in her own head, right? So it's probably not – Worth. I mean, you're not going to fix it with a Merry Christmas. Is all I'm trying to say. Mm, probably not. Yeah, this this has the the tendency to become all the other stories that we've ever covered on these yeah. these episodes. So, it yeah. does keeps the content flowing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I won't stop right now. <laughs> Maybe I will though. Anyway, well, that was fun and terrible. Um, yeah. In retrospect, we, we said we weren't going to talk a lot about this, but we've, you know, we've gotten some criticism for being overly political and other right. things. And then I choose a, a whole story about a white supremacist. So that was tough to get through <laughs> without being that way. As I'm writing the script, I'm like, what am I doing <laughs> the whole yeah. time? But, yeah. uh, you know, that's all I got. What about Annie Hyatt? Did you hear about Annie Hyatt? Yes. She showed up the other day. Yeah. Was standing by the water cooler, which I didn't even know we had. Yeah, at 1159 Studios. She was just there, right? World headquarters in my garage. And she's by the water cooler. And I heard her talking about her daughter and how her daughter had finally admitted that Annie Hyatt was right about everything. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a victory moment right there. And, uh, I didn't say anything to her at the time because she was she was crying a lot and uh-huh. you know there are some I called nine one one yeah you were looking at me and I called nine one one but it was weird that you called nine one one because you said yeah I mean everything's fine she's just an ugly crier <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think she was I thought she was a pretty crier <laughs> when I called nine one one and Annie Hyatt for that situation though you know who showed up my favorite paramedic Rebecca Fulton yeah. yeah yep she yeah. showed up yeah she's a beauty. Yeah, she She's is. She, she she came by the other day and was like, I'm here. And I'm like, okay, what are yeah. you doing here? And she's like, I'm here to work. And I'm like, how much are we paying you? And she said, right. I'm paying you $50. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, do you know how to 
churn butter? And she said, no. And I was like, this is going to be fun. So <sighs> I put her to work churning more butter. <laughs> Rebecca makes good butter. She Rebecca does. Rebecca Fultonier, man. She, she does. does. Really good butter. She's also a hell of a paramedic, man, because she just puts butter on all she, the burns. She put it on Annie and like the tears went away and she was yeah. like, my eyes, my eyes. And I was like, I've been there before. Butter cubes in the eyes, not a good oh, experience. You hate butter though. I hate, well, you know what I found out is butter discs totally fine with so i guess it's i'm i'm critical of the shape i'm a shapist i don't like butter cubes but i like butter discs so i see thank you for bringing that to my attention rebecca fultonier man you get burned so much by the audience and she's trying to rub butter on your burns rebecca fultonier there right and uh like i'm freaking out you're freaking out and then brooke shell yeah she comes walking into the studio right yeah and she just goes, she calms me down and she puts these Jeffrey Dahmer glasses onto my face. And she goes, see the world through these eyes, Jack. Yeah. And suddenly everything turned into meat. Uh, she, she sent me Dahmer glasses in the mail. And, uh, man, I wear them everywhere now. And everybody who sees me wearing them goes, what do you think, you're a Guido? I'm like, I'm Jeffrey Dahmer. Don't, yeah. don't be so disrespectful. <laughs> I, I actually met Brooke at um, a Jeffrey Dahmer benefit. Oh, a benefit, huh? They have those. Was it like a dance and a cotillion and everything? Or? It was a celebration of Jeffrey Dahmer's life. Oh, wow. And we were all served pork. Oh, no, we got to eat it right off the bone. But they had, they had the pigs bent over backwards, and uh, I saw Brooke across the room, and she cut me off a slice right off the belly and slammed the glasses on my face, and everything looked like human meat around me. Anyways, 50 bucks is what gets you. That's what this gets you. <laughs> True stories of our listeners. We look them up. We research you deeply for 50 bucks. <laughs> we tell the world about what you really did. <laughs> right. Hi, Diana. Hi, Tracy. And hi, Fred. Yeah. Thank you to the one, two, three, four, five, six people who are now on the $50 tier of 11.59 Patreon. <laughs> and do you know what six times 50 is? That's 300. Isn't yeah. that right? That's a, and, and we found out that is a large stack of tacos. It is. <laughs> it is. So, if you want to add to our taco fund, you just keep keep those keep those those supports coming, and we'll keep making true stories about you. <laughs> and for those on the fifty dollars tier, I found out recently that when you come to the fifty dollars tier, you only get fifty dollars tier content, which is no content. <laughs> so I've switched that over, so you get everything. Apologies, that's a weird booby prize for coming to fifty. <laughs> All the content disappears. You're like, ha ha. <laughs> Uh, one thing I learned about the $50 tier was when people go to the $50 tier, I say, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. When we were making that $50 tier, we we're like, well, what can we offer? And I was, uh, we were like, um, well, imagine they're, they're on an elevator and they go past tier 13. They go all the way to 50 and they're just walking around, knocking over boxes. All the merch from the past is just all over the floor. They don't know what they're doing up there. They're like one of Jeffrey Dahmer's like slave people, like just bumping into walls, eating the, the dirt out of the plants and stuff. It's like, what are you doing up here? Yeah. The way I put it was it's like the elevator goes all the way to the top of the building and they get the privilege of walking around on the top of a building like an absolute crazy person and no one knows why you're there or you have the opportunity to jump <laughs> yes <laughs> oh, anyways so. thank you to all of you crazy crazy uh, people 1159ers anyway that's all I got that's all you got one less neo-nazi in the world hey uh, I got a quick joke for you oh what, what yes. comes after 49 50 what comes after 59 
60. What comes after 69? Me. <laughs> wow. That's not a very good joke. All right. We'll see you. Hugs, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>